0: context verse 23 God has made vessels of glory verse 24 even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles as indeed he says in Hosea those who were not my people I will call my people and her who was not beloved I I will call beloved and in the very place where it was said to them you are not my people they will be called sons of the living God And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. I want to preach you this morning on this text. I'm going to title my sermon... Don't miss the greatest gift. Don't miss the greatest gift. Let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, we thank you for this text. We ask that you would speak to us this Christmas morning through your word and encourage us in the gift of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the best gift is always a surprise. This is why... You like to wrap your gifts. It's why you like to hide your gifts. Uh, We all love the plot twist of Christmas when uh, we receive something that is unexpected. And I believe that we like surprise gifts and plot twists because we are created in the image of God. And God has wired us to like these things. Why? It's because God's whole story of redemption comes with surprises. A surprising gift a story of plot twists. For example, one of my favorite plot twist stories in the Bible is in the book of Hosea. And you guys know the story many of you, Hosea is called by God to marry a prostitute named Gomer and God is going to through Hosea's love for Gomer and pursuit of Gomer, God is going to show his people of his own love for them. And as the story goes on, things get bad very quickly. And by the end of chapter 1, Gomer has had a few children, and the third child, Hosea names, not mine. Now the plot twist comes when Hosea doesn't throw her out, which is what would have been expected, especially in that time period, she deserved the death penalty. But instead of throwing her out, instead of his judgment, Hosea... Pursues his wife. And so in chapter two, uh, our, our imagination as we read it, we can kind of pick up on the themes there. We, we can imagine Hosea in the middle of the night, perhaps finding where his wife is shacking up and leaving on her doorstep food and wine and wool to stay warm and even oil to put on her face, which would have been a luxury back then. And as she wakes up in the morning and she finds these gifts, And she credits them to her lover, and she says, oh, my lover, look what my lover has given me. He's given me food, and he gives me wool to stay warm, and he gives me wine, and he gives me oil for my face to shine. And God says, she does not know. It was I who gave her the wool. It was I who gave her the wine. It was I who gave her the the, the food. It was I who gave her the oil. You see, how often has God given us beautiful, wonderful gifts, and we credit them to our lovers? And God says, they do not know it was I. The great plot twist comes as Hosea redeems his wife, wins her with his love. This morning, I want you to see the greatest gift. And I just simply want to say this, don't miss it this morning. On Christmas, with all the things that you have planned for today, maybe you got nothing planned for today. Praise God if it's a nice quiet day for you. But some of you probably got a lot going on. And I just want to simply say this, don't miss the greatest gift. Well, what is it? In Romans chapter 9... We begin with this question at the beginning of the chapter, what about the Jews? So if, if God is doing all of these great things, these great promises, and Gentiles are the, seem to be the bulk of those that are receiving it, what about the Jews? And Paul says, I'm in anguish because I've got brother Israelites who don't know Jesus, who have rejected Jesus. And that brings him, though, in verse 6 to make a declaration and to say, don't get it twisted, it's not as though the word of God has failed. Meaning, since God is is not saving all of the the Jews in Paul's day, does that mean that God's promises to Israel have failed? And Paul says, no, they haven't failed. And that's really the whole point of Romans chapter 9, is Paul is proving that God's promises have never failed. First, he he shows it through simply saying that God has always worked this way. God has always worked through election. That's his first answer. And that leads him then to this, this picture of, uh, of, of God's called out, uh, true Israel in verse 6. Those who are the called ones, those who are saved. And, and they're later called vessels of mercy. Now in verse 24 and 29, where we pick it up this morning, Paul's continuing this theme, but he's turning it a little bit, and he's, he's saying, well, who, are the, who is true Israel? Who are these people who are vessels of? Of mercy. And he gives us two categories Gentiles and Jews. Together make up the whole people of God, the vessels of God's mercy. And in it, what we see is the greatest gift, which is the Lord, I'm just going to tell you right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is your, your greatest gift this morning. And the gift I don't want you to miss this morning is all of the surprising wonders and beauty of God's grace through Jesus Christ. So, we might miss it, but we don't have to. Let me tell you how surprising this gift is, how beautiful this gift is, uh, so that we might not miss it. It is a, like all good gifts, it is a surprise gift. There's a surprising aspect to this gift. First, we are surprised by who God saves. And secondly, we are surprised by how God saves. Let me show show that to you in this text. In verse 24, Paul is surprised, and I think the Jews are, in a sense, surprised at the scope of this gift, Who it includes. He says, even us whom he has called. Now he's referring back to the vessels of mercy. Who are the vessels of mercy? Well, even us whom he has called. Somebody say called. Called Called here is is a nickname for saved. Uh, This is a uh, what the theologians call an effectual calling. It's the kind of calling that wakes somebody up from their sin and brings them to the marvelous light. So who, uh, uh, the vessels of mercy are those of us who are called, but then he says this not only, verse 24, from the Jews, but also, here's the surprise, from the Gentiles. Gentiles will be anybody that's not a Jew, the nations. He's saying that the, the called ones, God's vessels of mercy, are reflective of the entire globe. Now, it's presented as a rhetorical question for effect. Paul wants his reader to kind of pick up on the awe of the fact that it's not only Jews, but is it also the Gentiles? The Gentiles also are included in this true Israel? You see, the Jews would have assumed that they would be the vessels of mercy and that there would be a remnant of Gentiles. But there's a plot twist here. And in the plot twist, what they see is that the the, the floodgates uh, to the Gentiles have been opened up and they're just flowing in from all over, filling up the people of God and the remnant is actually the, the Israelites. Now don't assume... A plot twist is a change in the author's plan. For example, in Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol, you know the story of Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. He's a mean old man, and uh, he's he's not paying his his worker the wages that he deserves. And this is very much so, by the way, a social commentary of his day. It's interesting to kind of read the history of that era and compare it to the story. But anyway, the plot twist comes when, when uh, Scrooge discovers through this dream, or whatever it is uh, that he's on, that Tiny Tim has died. And he, he dies because uh, of the lack of wages that the father has received from Scrooge the boss uh, and was unable to pay for what he needed, medical care. And this plot twist, you know, which begins at the, at the beginning where the, the man is poor and not getting his wages, and, and what it does is it, it actually becomes the turning point for Scrooge. Now, here's my point on plot twists. My point is simply this. A plot twist isn't something that an author was writing and then later kind of came up with a whole change in direction and was like, you know what, I'm going to actually soften Scrooge's heart. No, that was the point from the beginning of the story, right? So the whole story has been told in such a way so, so that when we get to the plot twist, we're in awe. Yeah. This is the way God works as well. God has always been working out the same story of redemption, and it's not like he changes his mind later on, but he intentionally built in a plot twist. And here's the plot twist, is that all of these Gentiles are included into the people of God. So he quotes then Hosea 2.24 to make his point. Hosea 2.24, look at verse 25. He's quoting Hosea. He says, those who are not my people. Remember, he named his son not mine. That was an analogy for this bigger picture. Uh, Those who are not my people, uh, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, Gomer, I will call beloved. Meaning it was always God's plan to love Gomer, that Hosea would pursue her. That was the point from the beginning. That was the big plot twist that the author had strategized. But, bigger question though, who does Gomer represent in the story? Who does Gomer symbolically represent? Well, let's continue on. Verse 26, he quotes Hosea chapter 1, verse 10 now. And he says, In the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now, Hosea is writing to the northern kingdom. All right? Track with me for a second. By this time in Israel, Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Hosea is writing to the northern kingdom, and he later quotes Isaiah. Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom. All right? Now track with me for a sec. As he quotes Isaiah, he's talking here to the Jews, and in particular to the remnant of Jews. Why? It's because the remnant of Jews that are alive in Paul's day are literal descendants from the southern kingdom of Israel, who Isaiah was talking to. But as he's he's referring to the Gentiles who are coming into the people of God, he quotes Hosea, who was written to the northern kingdom. Well, why does that matter? What's he saying here? Well, the northern kingdom, if you know anything about Israel's history... The northern kingdom was taken into captivity, and they were lost forever. They were gone, gone. Nobody ever saw them again. And that creates this huge theological question. How does the prophecy in Hosea 1 and Hosea 2, those who are not my people will be my people, those who are I, I said are not my beloved, will become my beloved, written to the northern kingdom. How will that ever be fulfilled? If they're gone. What Paul's saying has massive ra- theological ramifications. He's saying these prophecies to the northern kingdom are actually fulfilled in the Gentiles. In the calling of the Gentiles. What, look at it, he, he says... That they are called, the Gentiles here, are are called, look at these these terms, my people. Verse 25, they're called beloved. Verse 25, they're called sons or children uh, of God, according to Hosea. In verse 26, this is covenantal language applied to the Gentiles. Meaning when Gentiles sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, we can say that's our song. The Gentiles have been included into what Paul calls true Israel. Plot twist. But, but check it out. A plot twist just simply reveals the genius of the author, not a change in the plan. Yeah. So what Paul's saying is, is, he's going all the way back to Hosea, and he's saying this has always been God's plan. Here's the twist. Here's the surprise. God is saving those you least expect. God is saving those you least expect. We are surprised by who... God saves. In the text, it's those from Samaria, and those, those from uh, Judea, and those from Rome, and those from Galatia, and those from India, and those from Africa, and those from uh, Europe, and those from the Americas, from all over the globe, God is saving for himself a people. And at an individual level, we are surprised because he saved me, and he saved you. You were once not my people. You were once called not my beloved. You were once called not mine. But now he says, you are my people. You are my beloved. You are my children. You were once disconnected from the local church. You you were once disconnected from the body of Christ. You never would have thought to get up on a Christmas morning and actually go to church. That's because you were disconnected from... The capital C church. You are disconnected from Christ. You once were disconnected from the hope of salvation. You once were disconnected from the, the opportunity to spend eternity with God. You are disconnected from forgiveness of sins. You are completely out there. But God has done something. He brought you in here. And I don't mean in this room. Into the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. I love first generation Christians. You know what I mean by that? Like Christians who didn't grow up in church. They didn't grow up in a Christian home. They heard the song as a child, maybe Jesus loves me. This I know. And they thought, that's a nice song for somebody. But not for me. And you remind me that God saves anybody, not just those who grow up Christian, not just those who grow up going to church on Sunday, not just those who grow up in Sunday school, but God has the power to save anybody. You see, hypocrites assume that God is going to save them. And that's the problem of hypocrisy. We just assume that we are uh, on the inside, and there's no way we can be put on the outside. And in this strange, crazy, wild turn of events, the surprise is that those that are on the outside are coming inside. And those who often thought they were on the inside are actually on the outside. Meaning, application, be surprised by this gift. Be surprised by God's love in a good way. Let it amaze you that God has included you into the family of Christ. Also, application, don't write yourself off because of your background, because you didn't grow up a certain way, because you don't know enough doctrine, because you haven't read enough of the Bible. Don't write yourself off. Another application, don't write somebody else off don 't write them off because they're the bad people out there you know don't write, don't write off your neighbors don't write off those on your block don't write off your coworkers don't write off your family members who don't know jesus don't write anybody off. How will they hear without a preacher God has given you two feet. Go tell them the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ God can save Anybody, amen. Yeah. Hey, this past week, I was uploading a PDF onto my computer to turn it into an ebook, and I w- it was I was using this online program, and uh, the wheel was spinning. You know, I'm just waiting for this PDF to upload, and then finally, it, w- it, w- it was uploaded, and uh, uh, another little thing came on spinning, and it said uh, converting. Dot dot dot, please wait. Conversion status will be updated automatically. Well, there was nothing automatic about the conversion of my PDF to an ebook. As a matter of fact, after I sat there and watched this little dot 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 converting, a little thing came up on the screen that said, unable to convert. Hmm. It was too hard to convert. <laughs> Hey, is anybody glad that nobody is too hard for God to convert? Like, when God called you, the conversion didn't even take a nanosecond. You went from not my people to my people like this. You went from outside to inside. You went from not my son to my children like this. That's how God does it. And so we are surprised as we consider ourselves and our own wandering hearts that God was able and is able and remains able and will forever be able to save me. Don't miss the greatest gift. So we're surprised by who he saved, and secondly, we're surprised by how he saves. Look at verse 29. If the Lord of hosts had not left us an offspring, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. You see my little Christmas theme right here? If the Lord of hosts had not left us a seed, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Another good plot twist in the story. Scrooge sees his own grave. And at this point, it's this realization that Scrooge's rescue is not merely helping Tiny Tim, but what these angels are helping him What they're saving him from, what they're rescuing, is is actually his own demise. Have you ever had this moment where you're rescued from something and then you realize, like, oh, wow, that could have been me? Um, Like, just as an example, maybe you trip off the sidewalk or something and somebody grabs you. and, And your first thought was, oh, wow, thank you for helping me not fall on my face as I'm tripping off the sidewalk. And then you see a bus go by and you're like, oh, wow, you actually saved me from that. This is, the, this is the vibe that we ought to get as we're reading this. If it had not been for an offspring, we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, this isn't just about uh, something nice that God's given. Like, you would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, he's quoting, let's, let's go to the context here, because here he's turning to the remnant. He's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 10 Verse 22 and 23 is quoted in verse 27 and 28. So read this with me. It says, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth, full and without delay. Now again, he's referring to Isaiah, who's writing to the southern kingdom. The Jews of his day would be literal descendants from the southern kingdom. And Isaiah was saying in his own day that if God didn't leave an offspring, or Isaiah, uh, the word is, is, is translated uh, survivors, If God did not leave us a survivor, then all of Israel would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. The the reason we're not is because God has some faithful people here, is what Isaiah is saying. Well, Paul's saying it the same way. Paul's saying, look, today, uh, in, in our day, Israel is similar to Isaiah's day, that we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah if it wasn't for this remnant that God has left us. And Paul gives an additional dimension of interpretation here as he used the word seed, or as translated, offspring. What he's simply saying is this, is even though things don't look good, God hasn't left us. Even though I am in personal anguish, says Paul, because of my brother Israelites who don't know Jesus, I'm just saying that God hasn't left us and that he is fulfilling the redemptive plan that he has had all along. How does God save? Well, God saves us mightily. Meaning, what Isaiah says is that all of the world would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Not just Israel. We're not just picking on Israel here. Us, all, every, every Jew and every Gentile, every nation would be like Sodom and Gomorrah if God had not left his seed, his offspring. He has the power to save us. It's as if we, 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 we are rescued and we look up and we see that bus pass by and we say, oh, it was that that you were saving me from. We're surprised by what he has saved us from. He saves us mightily. He saves us completely. He doesn't just leave us a little bit in Sodom. He doesn't leave a little bit of that judgment, a little bit of that wrath for us, but it is a complete salvation. And He saves us substitutionally. What do I mean by that? Well, I think with Paul's here deeper interpretation of the Isaiah passage, what we see is, is another dimension of this offspring or this seed. That God sent His very own seed. Our hope is not in the remnant of Israel our hope is in the one that he sent that baby in the manger and if it wasn't for that seed then we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah you see today on Christmas we think of the birth of Jesus Christ and as we think of that little baby born in the manger we must remember that he came to die he came to be our substitute. He came to take on the sin of the world. Someone once put it like this. They said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If, God's, if, if our greatest need was money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. What were the angels' words to Joseph that day? They said, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save people from their sins. That baby that was born was born to die, who would live the life of Perfection before God and die substitutionally in our place, taking the Sodom and Gomorrah kind of judgment in his own body. And that offspring, that seed, would rise from the dead and defeat all hell and defeat all sin so that we might live. Turn to him, trust him, don't miss the greatest gift. This Christmas? How might we miss Jesus this Christmas? It's simple. To believe that God hasn't already done enough. You know, any bit of complaining against God, any bit of grumbling against God is to say that this gift is ultimately not enough. That I need something more. But, friends, since since when was Jesus not enough? Since when was The forgiveness of your sins, not enough. This gift is not only the perfect gift, but it displays the heart of the giver. And isn't that what makes a gift good? Is when the love of the giver is put on display. For example, our five-year-old this uh, last week, he brought home a bracelet, a cheap little bracelet that he bought from school with his Eagle Buck. And uh, it, was a, it was one eagle buck, and, and he, he brought it home, and, and uh, he, it was a, a little green b- bracelet, and he, he bought it for mommy as a Christmas gift for mommy. He already gave it to her, so I'm not giving anything away. And um, he, he said his teacher uh, took it away from him because she thought it was another girl's, because why would this little boy buy this little girl bracelet? And, uh, and so he had to explain to her, I bought that for mommy. A Christmas gift, and it's sort of like this—you know that moment where you just get this little thing, and it's like so much because it displays the heart of the giver, and you cherish it because of the love that's behind it. Oh, what love the Father has for us! You know, His gift, by the way. It, it, it does two things. One, it's the perfect gift. It is actually the perfect gift, what we need. And secondly, it perfectly displays the love of the giver. Yeah. And so what can we do in return? How can we repay God? We can't. We can't. So to give myself away, tis all that I can do. We give Him our lives. We give Him our whole self. We give Him our heart. and We give Him our joy. So joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. As Isaiah 9 tells us, the hope that Isaiah saw coming in the midst of all of this pain and in the midst of all of this lament and in the midst of all of these problems and pending judgment, he saw this hope, he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the greatest gift. Let's not miss him. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you for the reminder through your word of the surprising gift that is ours in Christ, the salvation of our souls, the forgiveness of our sins. Let us cling to him today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.